Hi everyone and welcome to episode 12 of the University of Greenwich Sustainability Podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast to discuss sustainability at the University of Greenwich and our wider lives. Hopefully with these short podcasts we can provide a good starting point for you guys to delve into sustainability topics and hopefully engage with the wider sustainability team or eco team projects. So today we're joined by Dan and Dilara. Um, for keen listeners, Dilara has been on another episode previously on a closed close shop swap. So if you like this episode, go back and listen to um, that episode with Dilara. But today it will be myself asking questions and Dilara asking some questions and then Dan and Dilara will be asked, answering some questions. So uh, everyone involved here. So um, Dan, you're from a company called Zero Negativity. Could yeah. you begin by um, giving us a fun fact? Yeah, fun, so the fun facts I prepared in advance um, is something that we use quite a lot, actually. So we, we've generated a bit of a kind of calculator um, to show people the environmental impact of making a switch from conventional to a more sustainable clothing. So um, what we what we generally tend to do is when we speak to universities or uh, other companies is we look at the amount of people that they have either working for them or the number of students that they've got um, so for Greenwich the last numbers that that I got were just short 19,000 students um, across the undergraduate and postgraduate um, cohorts so if every one of them, so you know how people buy uh, like a university hoodie like it's kind of a rite of passage isn't it when you freshers you buy a university hoodie so across the whole university if, if everybody um who bought one bought an organic cotton one as opposed to a conventional cotton one that would save 172 million liters of water um which is enough to sustain 236,000 people for a full year um, drinking two liters of water a day each um it would save enough co2 emissions uh, to drive to the moon 13 times in a ford fiesta um, and it would keep a, a standard 60 watt light bulb lit for 265 years is the amount of energy that it, that it would save. So as you can see, 19,000 is obviously kind of an inflated number, but even if it was half of that and it was kind of just short 10,000, the numbers are enormous um, in terms of the environmental impact and the, especially the water and energy that can be saved. That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting fact, Dan. Thank you for that one. Really gives you an idea of how much individual changes, if they all come together, how much change they can actually make. Mm. So, um, could you begin by giving the description of zero negativity clothing and what your company sort of does? Yeah, sure. So essentially, we are a sustainable clothing supplier. Um, we started out. It was kind of maybe just short two years ago, it was February 2019 when it when we started, and we just sold two T-shirts. We sold a white organic uh, men's T-shirt and a ladies' T-shirt, and that and that was it. And since then, we've we've grown into doing wholesale and websites and sustainable kind of drop shipping stuff like that. So we do a whole range of things, um, but at, at our core, we we supply, source and supply and decorate. Um, sustainable clothing, whether that's organic or recycled or a, a blend of the two. So, like you said, your garments are made of um, organic cotton or recycled materials or a mix of both. For our listeners, how do your garments differ from conventionally produced garments? The the thing you'd probably notice if you were just picking it up in a shop or you you know you you got one through the post as opposed to a standard cotton, for example, t-shirt, it's a lot softer. Um, because it's not treated with the kind of chemicals that conventional cotton is that it's often chemi- uh, conventional cotton sorry is, o- is often treated with various chemicals including things like formaldehyde that's used to preserve dead bodies and stuff um, in order to stop it shrinking when it's washed in um, and tumble dried so it doesn't have any of those kind of chemicals in it at all um, so that the the main thing to the layman that you see and feel is is how soft it is um but other than that i think generally they differ into in, in in pretty much every way we say to people that it's not a comparable product to a conventional cotton t-shirt or hoodie or whatever because 
the whole process that it's gone through is totally different in terms of the seeds that are used to grow the cotton right through to the way that it's the whole supply chain is managed and certified by various different standards um whereas you know kind of conventional cotton stuff isn't there just isn't that, that kind of audit trial to make sure that things are as they should be people are paid properly along the way um and the way specifically our garments i think you'd notice we don't screen print anything because it's not a particularly eco-friendly way of decorating a garment so we use a, a few different methods but they're all they all use water-based inks um so it's all nice and even when it's washed you know you don't get any chemical that comes off it or anything like that um but and it makes the print really vibrant and really long lasting so we would hope it's the quality you can tell the quality difference between our our garments and others Delora, do you have anything to add? In terms of organic clothing and the practices um, that go into having a sustainable brand, um, I think people are not aware of how much it costs um, and like the difference in price in manufacturing and producing such garments. Because even with screen printing, I remember um, for the clothes shop, we tried to, um, we were exploring different alternatives to screen printing as well. And um we just couldn't afford the cost of water-based printing. So I think um, when when people do raise questions about the cost of sustainable garments, um, they don't bear in mind that there are these kind of practices that go into it and there's like different alternatives that cost more. But in the long run, it has um, better benefits. Yeah, just definitely that's something that um, we find often we'll work with, you know, universities and people who sorry organizations that are quite cost conscious whether it is a university or even like your local marathon we do a lot of like finishers shirts for marathons and triathlons and stuff like that and a lot of the time we give them all the information about the eco benefits but then what it comes down to is price and we try and be as competitive as we can and explain to them that you can't buy a t-shirt for two pounds and it be in any way sustainable whether you know the, the analogy we use is if if you think about somebody a farmer has to buy the cotton seeds they have to own or rent the land they have to have the machinery to plant and and all that and then it goes through months worth of um growing and then it's cultivated and sent to a factory and you know the, there are maybe 15 20 steps along the way between it turning from seed to t-shirt and if you're paying less than you do for a cup of coffee for that shirt, then how well do you think those people have been paid? And, you know, the and like Delara says, the investment that goes into starting a company like this um, is, is, is quite high. We can't just buy some kind of screen print templates and some ink and chuck it on T-shirts. You know, it's tens of thousands of pounds worth of investment in order to make sure we were doing it right from the beginning. Um, and we weren't just kind of playing at it, but you know the whole process from the beginning is is as we wanted it because we had to and we had to invest the money in order to do that. It's clear from your website that you work very hard to make sure that your whole production process does not have a negative impact on the environment, from packaging to your working habits. And to the listener, um, I'd recommend just having a look because there were lots of interesting things um, that I never really considered. Of running a company could have a negative impact on the environment. So. Um, did you embed these practices incrementally or did you begin with these principles in mind and made sure that you started your business in this way? Um, from the beginning, from the very off, that was part of the the business plan and and the whole idea really. And, and when we were exploring, you know, whether we were going to start this company and what kind of ideals we wanted to have in place, we kind of said if we can't do it, 100% sustainably or as close as, as we can possibly get then we just won't do it you know because there's, there's not really much point in saying you're a sustainable clothing supplier if if you then send it out in plastic packaging or you know or you, you use screen print dyes and stuff like that or you know or use plastic swing tags and stuff like that with because it's a bit cheaper um so yeah we have from the off every single process that we go through even even so much as things like the 
paper that we use to print people's orders that then goes in the in the bag that goes to them is printed on recycled paper and it's printed using the most eco-friendly paper printer we could find um and just just things like that we do everything with that in mind that's the first question we ask when we think of doing something new or even buying furniture and stuff like that um we think how can we do it in the most eco-friendly or sustainable manner uh, and that's generally how we do it so like when we were buying desks for um the offices there's uh have you heard of the company jisk or yisk i'm not sure how you say it it's like ikea but on the cheap um and they the desks there's a certain range of desks that they do that are made of recycled wood so it was just the obvious choice that we'd, we'd buy those so just things like that you know that you wouldn't maybe think of um that we we try to do um where uh, you haven't been able to find a sustainable alternative to something you want to do or um the sustainable approach has it been a decision to scrap that idea or has like is were you able to so how easy was it to find an alternative and is it always possible um i don't think it's always possible um there are there are certain think projects and things like that that we've just had to say no to um and that happens quite a lot actually um either where people say the cost is too high can you do it can you use a different type of t-shirt or a different, you know, if I buy the t-shirts off you, can you then send them to someone else to print them cheaper or whatever? We just say no, um, because that just doesn't make any business sense either. But things, yeah, things like, um, but yeah, often where we maybe get asked for a particular garment that isn't in our catalogue, um, or I say catalogue, we've got various different factories and suppliers and stuff like that that we work with, and they just have a set of things. Um, and often we can have things made, but it's, that doesn't financially make any sense because you have to buy a thousand of them or something. Um, and you, we could, from a supplier, buy a non-sustainable version of, say, a, a, a jacket or something. Um, but we we just won't do that because it's it's just not worth it to us to compromise our kind of principles um, just to fulfil an order. We're not, you know, uh, because in the long run we want to be able to say everything we've done is is sustainable even like like the bin bags that we use are all like biodegradable bin bags and stuff like you know just little things um, and it is quite easy i think how important do you think it is that a clothing provider ensures that they're sustainable throughout their business uh, first i'll ask dan um i i think if you're going to say you're a sustainable clothing provider then it's very important to be sustainable throughout the business um there's a there is a lot and i'm sure you've seen it on the high street there's a lot of h&m primark those kind of um businesses where they they kind of say they're going to be they're, they're more sustainable because they sell like one recycled t-shirt or something like that and and they say right I'm, we're sustainable now um and the their entire kind of practice isn't but they you know they kind of say that they are so there's a there's an app actually called um good on you which oh, yeah. is have you heard about that and that, that's really good for any brands that you're interested in or we're too small to be on there but you know you can put the brand name in there and it will come up and and say it's like a sustainability rating thing but it, and it's not just based on environmental factors it's it's to do with the treatment of animals um the 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 way that they pay their staff all those kinds of things so that's that's definitely a good way of like checking things out if you uh, if you're ever interested and do you have anything to add to that Delora um, um I think it's really important especially now that sustainability has gained a bit of attraction and companies are jumping on the bandwagon um and although it's initiated by um like international developments such as the United Nations with their um sustainable development goals um I've, I think if you advertise that you're going sustainable or that you have a sustainable line you have to ensure that that is the case throughout and even within like your um, suppliers or factories that may not be local to um, your customers but um, they still matter and sustainability isn't just with the item it's um, as Dan said it's in terms of um, modern slavery it's in terms of um, the work like the conditions of factories 
um, and H&M being a big one um, following the Rana Plaza um, collapse. I think so, yeah, sustainability, um, if you declare that you want to be a sustainable brand, you have to do it throughout. Otherwise, then it's just you're just practicing greenwashing, which you see a lot more now. Um, but it's easier to call out. It's easier to point out which companies are practicing greenwashing. Yeah, I completely agree in terms of um, what Dan said in the sense of you can see sort of a recycled T-shirt. Uh, never put any descriptions of how they've recycled it, um, what materials they've used to recycle it, all sorts of um, buzzwords that go around, but no substance. And to maybe somebody who doesn't take an interest in sustainability, those are good enough. But I think it's up to people who are interested in sustainability to, um, yeah, sort of cut those people off and um, cut the companies off. So. In terms of creating um, and supplying clothing that has a zero negative impact, what are the biggest challenges, Dan? The biggest challenges, I think, are, well, there's, there's two, I think. There's one is finance, um, because, you know, we, we set out as a fashion brand. That's what we wanted to be. But we realised without an enormous marketing budget and being able to pay every Love Islander to wear a hoodie or something like that you know and and even if you sent out a hundred hoodies and five of them wear them that's not sustainable in itself is it because it just ends up in a bin or you know whatever so so that was kind of partly the reason we pivoted into doing the wholesale thing and because we realized actually we could make a much bigger impact doing wholesale and custom printing and stuff like that but i think the biggest thing is actually apathy um, I think there's not enough people who either know enough about it or are bothered enough about it to um, because when you explain, you know, like when I, I gave you the fun fact at the beginning, and when and when you hear numbers like that, there is no logical reason why anybody would not want to use or wear sustainable clothing, other than that it's cheaper to to not. Um, but yeah, the, the apathy thing, I think, is the biggest challenge, especially when you're speaking to companies and um, the, the NUS was a good example, actually, of uh, an organisation that we spoke to who say a lot about sustainability and ethical practices and stuff like that. But then when we asked them, well, can we join your approved supplier list for clothing for universities? They said no, <laughs> because we, we already have a contract in place. Um, with you know x and y supplier um so we're just not willing to do anything about it and it was it runs till 2022 or something like that so we said oh we're not asking you to get rid of them we'd just like to join that list so that universities have the option to buy those uh no no you can't do that because we, we have a contract in place and that's it so it's kind of we get we get a lot and it and to me that is greenwashing in a sense because the NUS often has big campaigns about sustainability. There's the students organising for sustainability, but they're not. You go to them and say, "I've got a ready-made way of you being more sustainable," and they're not interested. So, um, so that's kind of you're playing at it, aren't you? Really, by if you're going to say you're sustainable, but then when you get the option to do a bit more than just put some recycling bins out, then you're, you're not interested, you know. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, and yeah, thank you for shedding the light on sort of the NUS's approach to your company. Uh, Delara, do you have anything to add? In, um, I do, but I'm kind of uh, weary that this is the University of Greenwich's podcast at the end of the day. <laughs> so I don't want to put them on blast, um, but I will say it anyways. Um, so with the EK team at the University of Greenwich, they, um, which me and Ryan are part of, We've done amazing work in terms of um, pro not protesting, but fighting for climate crisis. And the university um, has finally accepted it and they're willing to change um, certain areas within the university. But prior to this, um, there were sustainable projects and campaigns. But um, it wasn't until my business and human rights professor, Olga, had told me that there were um, the gowns um, that were hired from Eden's Ravencroft and was actually um, made using modern slavery practices within the UK. So mm. um, although modern slavery is seen as a um, 
third world country problem or a distant problem or a foreign problem. It's actually being practiced here in the UK as well. So it, it just says a lot about how far you're willing to go yeah. with the impact you want to have. Yeah, and I think that's why customers or students or basically the customers or the targets of the company institution, um, et cetera, um, we need to put the pressure on them because unless there's pressure being applied they're just going to say no nah, it's cheaper with somewhere else or they're our friend they're our ally we'd rather go with them so yeah. I think it's it's unfortunate but the um, pressure is on us to make a change and to force them to cooperate and enforce those changes. It's interesting as well because doing obviously kind of this past nine twelve months has been very different because a lot of universities have been closed they're not really buying products like that and we we keep in touch with them um on and off but prior to maybe it's probably this time last year or kind of just before christmas we were visiting a lot of different universities and showing them samples and talking about how we could work together and the different different options that were available um and some of the and the the, the difference in their reaction to us is is amazing so some universities manchester was one lancaster were really good bradford were really open to it as well um trying to think off the top of my head another couple uh, blackpool college and a few others where they were you know all over it absolutely brilliant and yet we can we'd love to do something with you and they either have or it's kind of on hold until the coronavirus thing has has disappeared and they are really proactive and looking at ways that in, in which that they can they can improve on sustainability, especially when you highlight to them this is the impact that you have through clothing. It's probably actually more than a lot of the other stuff that you would automatically think about put together. You know, the impact is probably greater. So places like Manchester, the um, the chap who's our contact there, Manchester University runs the museum, the art gallery, and few other places around the city and they want to apply the same thing across the board you know um and set up sustainability shops on oxford road and stuff like that because they have all these buildings that they can do whatever they want with really so they're really really good and really proactive and then you know other other places you ring them up to can we come and meet you yeah sure and you go down you show them a hoodie and they go well how much is it and you say well it's x pounds for what you need um and right, well, that's like five pound more expensive than we, we're currently paying. And you go, well, yeah, but like I just said, it's not it's not a comparable product, and they're just not interested. It's what is the price, and that's it, you know. So definitely a big a big shift needs to be made. You know, some of them are game, but I think they're actually the minority, not the majority. Yeah, thanks, guys. There's um yeah really good points there, and I think um. To comment on Delara's point about, I think companies would and institutions would um, continue bad practice if nobody raises the issue, nobody says anything about it, because it's easier to keep going down that road, especially if there are cost-saving um, cost-saving implications to malpractice from a sustainability point of view. So, raising these ideas and having discussions around them, while they're not everything, I think they're really important to sort of um, highlighting where universities, institutions, councils can improve. So I, I should stress actually is that in a lot of it in a lot of circumstances it isn't more more expensive to do it in a sustainable manner. It's just that over the years the supplier they've had for the 15 years has kept you know has has been making a nice healthy margin on on whatever they're doing and nobody's ever questioned it. So and or or it's artificially cheap which is often the case as well um but we've found you know in certain universities in particular universities in particular are better than businesses where they're quite open about the amount that they pay for things um because they're essentially public bodies all over aren't they so um and and they will say we currently pay 20 pound or something for a hoodie so if you can be in and around that that'd be great and often we can come in way cheaper than that so you know and, and then other ones that are paying eight quid because it's you know the worst of the worst and either quality rubbish and you know so yeah i think it, it doesn't need to be expensive um it doesn't need and what we like to say is it doesn't need to cost the earth financially or environmentally you know 
And in terms of costs, I think I just wanted to add that in terms of costs, um, where it might cost you a few pounds more here and there for a university or no, for a university in specific, um, that will um, make a difference in the kind of students you have, the kind of way you can advertise yourself as a university. I know that University of Greenwich prides themselves in sustainability and um, ensuring that students are attending the university, not just for the education, but also the um, students union. So the projects they support. So you can have more students coming in who are paying tuition fees mm. um, because you're a sustainable university or you're adopting these practices. Mm. But I think with sustainability and uh, companies, um, the outlook is very short term. They don't look at the long term and the long term consequences. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Uh, something that I didn't consider myself in terms of um, it can be used as a tool to advertise the university values. Uh, so I know you had a question at this point. Um, so I'll hand over to you now, Delara. Yeah, I wanted to ask, um, because you're a company, I wanted to ask how you're monitoring third party, third party actors such as like um, factories or the middleman between the factory and your company. Um, to make sure that they are um, adhering to your um, practices and your values, your beliefs, yeah, values. That's it. Yeah, um, there's a number of ways in which we do that. We 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 actually work with a very small number of uh, factories and suppliers. Um, there are various accreditations that different products hold, and they can the products can only hold those if the factory is credited to. You know to certify that the products have got this that and the other the main ones for sustainable clothing are the global organic textile standard and there's another smaller one um the organic content standard where and that that isn't just to do with the materials that's in the product it's to do with the whole thing it's the whole um supply chain and you know so because there's again there's no point in having an, an organic jumper or something like that if it's modern slavery has been used in order to produce it so those those kind of accreditations look at all of that um another one is the fairway foundation so we will only work with um suppliers that adhere to the fairway foundation kind of principles um and a lot of like the, the stuff that people are proud to have that quite rightly actually and a lot of the deliveries that we get all the boxes have got fairway foundation uh, stamps on them and stuff like that um, and then again we we will only work with so there was a good example is um the i don't know if you've seen we, we run a, a, a sub brand called zn sports zero negativity sport and um, we started doing football shirts and things of that ilk um, made of recycled plastic bottles and the factory that we used to produce those um has a UK office and when we kind of started these exploratory conversations about whether they could do it in re recycled materials and stuff like that they said yeah yeah sure that's fine like we'll get it all sorted um, and then we asked to see their like uh, ethical audits and stuff like that so we knew that it wasn't again being made using modern slavery or anything like that and straight away they were like yeah there you go we've got it all these are certificates and we've got SEDEX numbers and all different types of you know certificates and what have you so uh, and that is a great positive to us whereas if we were to speak to a factory and they would and they said oh well we've not really got that but we've we've got this and it's just kind of a made up because some some they self-certify a lot of the time as well where they'll say we don't work with such and such a material or whatever but there's nothing independent to prove just kind of said that's the case um or they just um, and that, or they, they can yeah yeah we'll get it to you and then it never happens so that would be a big for us and we wouldn't we wouldn't take anything from those kinds of people so um that's kind of the, the you can trust in the accreditations i think a lot of the times of these products and the different certificates that they've got yeah that's why i was mainly concerned about whether it was something that your company had to go and do the um audits and checks yourself or whether there was a regulatory framework or institution organization that carried it out for you and I think that is better for companies and for customers because I think people have more faith in an organization that has other elements to it and um, 
regulators to it. Yeah, and and to be frank, we're not we're not big enough, or we don't have enough money to to pay big for big audits of factories and stuff like that. So the the fact that those frameworks exist, you know, the um, organic textile standards and fairware and SEDEX is is the biggest one, I think, um, of those kind of frameworks, and they'll go do audits and stuff like that. So you can trust in them, um, and they're, they're great for any business, really, that wants to, even if it's not a sustainability thing, if it's just a, um, a treatment of workers and things like that, there are all sorts of different frameworks available. That um, And some of some of our products have got more, you know, more accreditations than you can actually list. We had to start using... Um, like acronyms and stuff for them yeah. because the page was just it was just so many and that's great um but yeah there's like there's, there's lots of them no greenwashing here mm. <laughs> it, it's, yeah it's really encouraging that you say you can actually trust the um accreditations because yeah i know that's a really important part for um sort of creating sustainability across the board um need to trust the regulations and everything and accreditations the average conventional cotton t-shirt requires 2,700 litres of water. Additionally, that t-shirt creates 7,000 grams of CO2 emissions and 3.2 kilowatts of energy. I know that links in well to Dan's fun fact. Um, what are some of the less expected knock-on effects the fashion industry has on the environment? I think the biggest ones would be uh, not only the use of water, but the pollution of water as well. So a lot of so that number is obviously huge. People would have no idea that it takes nearly three thousand liters of water to make one t-shirt, um, and hoodies is even more. I think it's nine thousand nine hundred for hoodies, something like that. Um, and a lot of that is because when they dye a garment in a factory, they use dyes that got all sorts of horrible chemicals in them, and then they have to wash the garments to get the excess dye out so then the water that they've got left is full of chemicals and they're not allowed to pump that out into the river or wherever or into their, their waste system so they put more water in it and more water in it and more water in it just to dilute it to the point where they're allowed to then pump that into the water system so you you often find you know it's i think um chinese and indian rivers and where a lot of these factories are you know, uh, are unrecognisable to how they will have been pre-industrial times. Um, so that's a big one. And uh, I think microplastics as well is another one that people don't really understand. Um, cotton, obviously, is a is a is a biodegradable substance, whereas plastic isn't. So I think any anything that you like virgin polyester that you wash there are microplastics that come off it and they end up in the water system and they turn into little balls eventually um and we would always recommend that anything that that we sell that is made of recycled plastic which is essentially still plastic um that you can buy now like wash bags that have that have got like a they're like a fine mesh and they catch any microplastics that come off in the wash so it prevents it from ending up in the water system um, and we're looking at getting some of those actually to sell on the website um it's just find again finding a sustainable supplier that can, that can do it for us so um so yeah that i think those two are probably the big the big things in terms of um i think when we discuss the environment um i think it's very important to talk about um the racial disparities um the climate crisis has so in terms of india and china you were saying um the rivers are polluted with chemicals and this is often the case um often we see um um ethnic not ethnic minorities but um people who are not from a white background um or a middle class working class background they often suffer the consequences where there's floodings in india for example as well or droughts in certain parts of the country so i think those two go hand in hand um and i think people need to become more aware of it and like you said i think education is a big part of that as well so that people can change their mindset because i didn't even though i'm involved in this i didn't know it that like, it was to that extent mm. and how interlinked they are yeah yeah it's a good point i think we do have that um that 
privilege almost of living, you know, living in Britain and, and everything where our water is sanitized and filtered and what have you before and then you turn a tap on and it comes out and it's clean and the the impact of not only using so much water in a in a part of the world where it's scarce anyway but then the, the fresh water that is kind of running through a community has got god knows what chemicals and dyes and all sorts of stuff in it as well it's it you know you just i think like say education's a big thing because people just don't think about that um probably because they've, they've not thought about it in as much detail as, as you or I have. But I think being given that information is all you can do, really. You can offer people the chance to educate themselves and um, and hope that they make changes because of it. Yeah, and now we're seeing um, an increase in alternatives to fast fashion and altern- like sustainable alternatives, which is a good thing to see. Mm-hmm. I read an article today, Dan, coming to your point about um, sort of microplastic runoff of clothes washing that they now found um, some microplastics in the Arctic from the majority of it is from um, people's clothes that have been sort of washed and then washed through the um, the water system. And yeah, there's all sorts of biological implications, sort of um, accumulation of microplastics in animals, which is all interconnected and yeah, definitely say so the more people can delve into the topics the more um implications and maybe if you're not inclined yeah maybe if you're not inclined to take interest in one side of it you'll find that it does affect some um somewhere where you do take interest in so delve into these topics i would so sort of coming back to the university side of it i know delari had a question about sort of um students and how they can get involved um, yes, I wanted to ask how you're um, engaging with students um, as your customer. Uh, well, as th- we've engaged with students in a number of ways, actually, not just as customers. Um, when we initially started out, one of the first things we did, uh, I was living in York at the time, and uh, I went. I was doing a master's at the at York St John, um, and went to the graphic design department and said, right. I'm useless at graphic design. Like this was done on PowerPoint. My, the graphic designer that I work with now just tears her hair out all the time because you know. Um, so I went to the graphic design department and said, "Is there anybody that would like to get involved? This is the idea um, that it's all going to be sustainable and the, the kind of zero negativity ethos runs through everything. It's not only not having negative impact, but it's trying to have positive impact as well. So." You know how difficult it is as as a, a newly graduated student to get a job because you've got to have like 10 years work experience and so and it's just completely um unrealistic so I, I thought you know there might be people who want to get involved in a project like this just submit some designs and we'll stick them on a t-shirt and, and sell them and they've got the name on the internet and what have you and then they can at least use it in a portfolio when they do go to get a job that i've worked with this corporate client and, and what have you um, and we had a really good take up. There was five or six students who provided basically all of our first range of clothing. Um, and, and one uh, called Alyssa now that, um, and she's really, she calls herself the design activist because she she's a firm believer that her kind of activism and beliefs in, in certain things, she can best um, kind of represent those through her design work. So she now works with us on loads of different projects um, on a freelance basis. So we pay her, obviously, for, for everything. Um, not one of these that's like, wants people to work for free just because they're students, you know. So um, so she's done some brilliant work with us, absolutely brilliant. Um, and she's got some fantastic opportunities off the back of it. So as I told you about the Manchester Museum work that we did. She did all of the designs for that for us and various things, too many to to mention now. Um, so, you know, that's we've we've engaged with students from the start and, and even if it's just Alyssa, at least we've had a positive impact on her career and what have you, and she can use that. Um, but then in terms of in in terms of targeting students as customers, I don't I, to be honest, I don't know if we have um, because I think if you if you if you define a customer as the end user of a product, then we have because universities was one of the biggest things that we wanted to target in terms of we looked at 
who already buys lots of clothing rather than who can we try and sell clothing to? So universities buy tens of thousands of hoodies and T-shirts and stuff like that every year. So rather than asking someone that doesn't usually buy clothing to buy some, let's look at who already buys it for a legitimate reason and let's try and switch them over to, to a more sustainable method. So we've kind of tried to target students that way and we've also tried to target them through the NUS and the uh, Students Organising for Sustainability and like I was kind of alluding to before, we knocked back there. Um, but we would we would definitely do things like student discounts and, and what have you. But we don't we don't want to be kind of we don't want to fall into that fast fashion bracket where yeah we've got a range of clothing and we're trying to sell it off cheap to students because we know they'll buy it. Like we'd, there's there's obviously got to be a balance between making it affordable for students. And encouraging people to buy things they don't need, like we don't want to, we don't want to fall down there. So, I think the way we should and could try to do things um, better is to engage more with like localized campaigns and teams like yours um, at Greenwich, and encourage them to get your arm with the information to go to their universities and go to their student unions and say, we want this change, we want you don't have to buy it from us, but we want um, sustainable clothing throughout the university. It's not just leavers, uh, freshers hoodies. It's you know the polo shirts that all the um, support staff wear. It's football shirts, society hoodies, all that kind of stuff. Um, and if you add it up, it's tens of thousands of pieces a year in most universities. So I think that's that's probably the way we should be doing it. No, I appreciate that because. Um... I think in terms of the environment and sustainability, um, the approach is always from a negative or from what's being, what's failing, what's happening, the disastrous effects. But to see that you're using your company and your um, motives to have a positive impact as well is is a good thing and a change. This is definitely a question that I'm sure both of you guys will um yeah, have something to weigh in on. So what would you say to a student? Um, I know uh, a lot of my friends or other people that I know um, like to express themselves with the clothes that they buy and the clothes that they wear, more importantly. For somebody who's interested in fashion and uh, likes to buy clothes often, how can this student be sustainable in buying new clothes? And what would you say to that person? Um, give them advice in that sense. I'll start with you, Dan. Buy what you need and don't buy more than you need. Um, and I think one of the big things I've noticed actually is we get very, very little returns. Um, and, and I know that the, the standard kind of returns percentage for a clothing company is between kind of 15 and 22% of, of everything that they sell gets returned because people buy three sizes and return two of them. And you've got the carbon footprint of those deliveries going backwards and forwards as well as, as the impact of the clothing. Um, so uh, we, I think we find that our customer as a, as a stereotype is more conscious of that kind of thing and just doesn't do that anyway. So we don't get a lot of returns. Um, and I think it, the, the best thing to do is to encourage other people to buy something that's almost a statement piece. Um, and we, when we started all of our T-shirts and hoodies and what have you, had like slogans on or something like that. So we had one that said like vote for, you know, the vote for Pedro design. It was like that, but it said vote for love. And that was kind of around the, um, the time that we had Brexit and, and all that kind of stuff so it was kind of think making people think more about people in their in their politics we've got a few pride designs and stuff like that and uh, some that have just kind of, kind of got zero negativity written on them or the little elephant moniker and stuff like that and i think buy something and wear it to encourage a conversation because if someone says oh, that's a nice hoodie like where did you get that from rather than just say i got it from this website and it was 40 quid or whatever tell them why tell them why you bought it and, and explain why um and obviously there's you don't have to buy new clothing all the time and i shouldn't my dad will tell me off for discouraging people from buying clothing but um i think you know there, there are lots of 
uh, Depop and all those kind of places where clothing that would end up in landfill can be reused and reloved by somebody else or even upcycled or, or whatever. Um, there's a, a, um, a company called Slow Garments, I don't know if you've seen that one, um, and it's a, a woman called Tiff, uh, Tiffany runs it, and I've spoken, I don't know her very well, but I've like, spoken to her a couple of times, and she makes um, all these fantastic sustainable like bikinis, dresses, tops, stuff like that, and she's just on Instagram, sells everything through Depop, I think, um, but has amassed quite a good following, and you know, she's always putting little video blogs on of things that are bothering her about the industry and, you know, and all these updates and stuff like that. And it just, I'd encourage people to go on social media. It's one of the things that social media can be used for in a positive way and search hashtags like sustainable clothing or slow fashion or whatever. And you'll find little businesses that are desperate for customers and desperate for attention. And through that, you'll end up finding things that, you know, every, everyone's got a top from Primark, haven't they? You can have something that's been handmade by somebody um, and, it, and it's good for the environment, good for people and, and everything else. Okay. Um, uh, so, yeah, my first alternatives would be um, Depop, um, eBay and Instagram, where you have individuals or brands um, selling their clothes. Um, so this would be a good alternative to actually buying and consuming products, which um, we're constantly bombarded with emails for um, subscriptions or a 20% sale, which you constantly see from fast fashion brands. First thing I've done is um, unsubscribed because I'm just tired of constantly being bombarded by these companies, which is what they want. They want you to constantly consume buy and not really invest in the products you're buying because with fast fashion you would see that the quality of the products are quite poor which explains the cheapness of the products but I think our attitude needs to change in terms of what we buy and consuming um, I would suggest um, buying investing in pieces so good quality pieces sometimes I still buy my basic clothes from Primark um, but if it's a coat or a pair of jeans I always look for um Alternatives, you can find brand alternatives on Good and You, as Dan already mentioned, or um, just like swap with your friends. I still do that with my friends. Like we swap clothes, we borrow clothes from each other. Um, but I'd also say look at alternatives like Depop or um, small brands, uh, small startup businesses where people are upcycling their clothes. Um, I know my friend, she started a tie dye. Um, denim business where she's um, asking people to bring their old denim jeans or coats and she would like upcycle them so I think if you do look there's a huge rabbit hole that you can get lost in um, you just have to look for it yeah I think there's two points just to go back on there one is what you're saying about um, email marketing and we we don't really do a lot of marketing I'm, I don't know if you've looked at our social media but it's something I'm just not I don't know enough about social media and how to use it properly. Um, and I don't have the time. <laughs> so um, we don't really put a lot on there. But the email marketing, I do I do research on things because I kind of want to know what I'm talking about before I jump into it. And when we were looking at email marketing, the average fashion brand sends six emails a week to its customers. Um, and you don't even notice it because you just you wake up in the morning and you've got another email, you just delete it and you move on. But if you actually add it up, you know, it's on average, it's six a week. And I think some of them are even more than that. And especially over your kind of Black Friday sales, Christmas, new season changes, things like that. Um, and that is crazy. And it is pressure. It's pressure tactics. You know, and it, it's that don't don't miss it because when it's gone, it's gone. And it never is. Yeah. Um, so and another thing is... Um, I wanted. I was interested to know what your thoughts are there on uh, charity shops because we, um, when we when we started out, we were looking at donating products and stuff like that. Um, and what we found was charity shops great for second-hand bargains and stuff like that. But people now donate so much uh, clo old clothing because they, they and they think they're doing a good thing. Um, that the, the charity shops can't possibly stock it all. It's got to go somewhere, hasn't it? So it often ends up being kind of shipped out to um, third world countries and it's just kind of dumped 
Um, and it's like, here you go, you can kind of have whatever you want, but it's just like in the street. Um, and I was, I'll send you the article because I found an article on it and it was, it was horrific really. It was like stuff that had been donated to Oxfam and the it's kind of let the Brits take what they want and anything that's left over, you can, they kind of sent to, I think it was somewhere in Africa. Um, but I'll, I'll find the article. Um, that's interesting. I never thought of it like that. Um, but yeah sorry that's fascinating that's caught me off guard um especially now because I was I thought you were gonna say something like oh yeah everyone's down like there's a bit more attraction to it so everyone's like popping down to charity store more than they used to but hearing that is actually quite shocking because um I live in Hackney and we have a lot of charity shops we have a lot of thrifting stores but I think that's become the trend Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't mind because it just means more people are in like alternatives to fast fashion. Um, but in that case, that just goes to prove how our attitudes genuinely have to change towards clothing. Like if it's no longer good, just throw it out. That wasn't the way it was before. And I don't want it to be a, oh, the 21st century or the um, Gen, Gen Z, Gen X, they're failing, like, um, we're, we're just um, letting the country go to shit. But that's not the case. Like, we're actually trying. Um, but I think from that, we need to change our attitude towards clothing in what we buy, how we consume it, and what happens to it once we're done with it. Mm. Like, is there someone else you can give it to, or can you upcycle it rather than let it go to a charity shop? Because I think often people think that's a better alternative. But I think there's definitely a, a place for it, and that's the thing. People, ninety-nine percent of people think they're doing the right thing, and and they are. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say don't give stuff to charity jobs because obviously it re, it recycles, or you know, the product is reused and it's raised some money for the charity, which is great. I think it's just like you say, what what the alternative is and what happens to it afterwards, because there's a finite number of amount there's a finite amount of clothes that people can consume isn't there uh, so it's, it's either it's got to end up in landfill if unless it's recycled you know like cut down and turned into recycled cotton it, it has to end up in landfill like eventually even if it's the third or fourth time it's been donated to a charity shop or whatever so and there are certain companies um and one of our factories uh, partner factories is one of them um based in india who regenerate and recycle old t-shirts into uh, new cotton um and there's one i think they're based in jersey and i think they're called t-mill or something like that and they do exactly the same thing so they they will take in thrown away cotton t-shirts and hoodies and what have you break it down and turn it into a new fiber and i think that is the way eventually should we shouldn't need virgin cotton and polyester and stuff like that because those both of those products can be recycled plastic especially can constantly be recycled melted down recycled and you know it's about the additives that get put into stuff and you know like plastic plastic bottles like people think that single-use plastic is the end of the world and and it is if you then put that in the bin and it ends up in landfill and it ends up in the ocean for a thousand years then that's rubbish but if you recycle things properly, it can turn into another bottle. Six of those turns into one of our football shirts. Um, all sorts of stuff. You know, and it, and we, we humans need technological advance and need things like plastic. That's why we developed it. It's just be, as long as we use it responsibly um, and in the right way, and yeah. there's there's no reason why it can't be of benefit. It's when we take things, when we take it for granted, and we go, well, well, I'll just chuck it because there isn't a recycling bin here, so I'll just put it in. No, just put it in your bag, take it home, put it in your recycling, you know, little changes like that. So anyway, I get on a rant about these things. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um, I I think I have a quite real position towards big companies, especially because I study technology and data protection and a variety of things. So I am quite anti-companies, big companies, not small companies. Um, I think it's, I think as consumers, we need to take a stand and, um, question what we're accepting companies to do um, and s- deciding when to say stop and letting companies know what we want as consumers and rather than just constantly consuming and accepting things as they are, which shouldn't be the case. 
because there are, like you said, technology is there for the advancements of human beings, but there are also um, cons to it. But we just need to be smart about how to use it because there are alternatives through um, the technologies you spoke about. Yeah, um, really interesting points um, from both of you there. And I'll tell you an additional thing that maybe um, people haven't mentioned is uh, learn how to repair your clothes. Uh, go into such a um, such a situation where as soon as something is like perceived as old, or it's like when you said you take clothes from your friends, as soon as something perceived as old um, in clothing-wise, I think a lot of people see it as being useless or... Um, undesirable and once you learn how to repair your clothes that's another situation where you can um extend the life cycle and it's all yeah good skill to have Delora, i know you had another question you wanted to ask at this point um i wanted to ask um how can students get involved in sustainable fashion and um either as a designer or a um like they want to start a company or just in general how to get into like sustainable fashion as a consumer um well google it i think is number one or actually don't google it i don't know if you've heard of um a search engine i think i'm saying it right ecosia so it's e-c-o-f-i-a and it's basically just google but every time you search something they plant a tree you cannot you could buy sustainable fashion that's that's dead simple but getting involved in it in terms of designing and things like that i can't speak for other sustainable companies but if anybody ever came to us and said i want to get involved um, and i want to offer my design skills or anything like that i would always take take them up on it you know and i can't say i will be able to pay everyone and there might be a deluge of students now trying to get in touch with me but you know i will always offer advice and offer um say by all means like you know if i get a jobs that come up that I need something doing for then I'll contact you and what have you and um and in terms of setting up your own company again that's something that two or three times already I've had people who are kind of know like friends of friends who have contacted me and said oh I've seen you on I don't know we've been on like in the newspaper a couple of times and stuff like that and I, and I want to start my own company I've actually got a meeting on Friday with a guy who wants to set up um a like an outdoors clothing company type stuff. And I'll always give people advice on how to do it sustainably. And because it doesn't just apply to the products, obviously the whole business thing needs, in my opinion, should be sustainable. And if you start out that way, it's much easier to carry it on than it is to start one way and have to switch. So, but students in particular, I think choose, depending on what you're studying, I'm sure there are often, um, modules within courses that contain content about sustainability i'm sure there are always societies and teams that you can join and volunteer for within your union where you can learn more about it and just surround yourself in those things you know and i just um i've got the bbc news app on my phone and you know you can add topics to it one of them I, I have i have fashion and i have sustainability and climate change and stuff like that just consume content read stuff um, find social media hashtags that are to do with that and just immerse yourself in that in that content and you'll learn more um, and then when it comes to looking for jobs and looking for you know to start your own business you're a step ahead because you're educated already um, so I think those those things are probably the biggest the biggest things I'd love to be able to offer everybody a job that wants one but I can't <laughs> No, thank you. Thanks for those tips. Um, yeah, so if the listener has any interest in sort of um, sustainable fashion or sustainable design and would like to learn more from Dan, um, yeah, I feel like that was an invitation to get in touch with you. Um, yeah, 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 please get in touch. I'm like the busiest person in the world, but like I, I will always reply to emails and um, you know social media messages and stuff like that eventually. So, yeah, feel free, yeah, just stick my email address on there if you want, and um, people can definitely contact me. So, Delora, do you have anything final to add or um, any other questions, any point you'd like to make at the end? Um, I'd just say get educated. Um, like Dan said, consume the right kind of things. 
and definitely check out Zero Negativity Clothing. I didn't pay him or anything. <laughs> no, not sponsored. This um, is not an ad. <laughs> and Dan, do you have any final points you'd like to make about Zero Negativity Clothing? Um, I think I've talked a lot about me and myself and stuff like that. I think the the final thing I would like to add is if if there are students listening to this who um, have agreed with everything that we've said and and they kind of a bit annoyed actually that uh, the NUS and some universities don't particularly take it very seriously, then do something about it. Um, you know and speak to your union i'm sure most unions now have a sustainability officer um so speak to them even if it's you know tutors in those particular areas or anything like that you know speak out about it and the more people that pressure universities and unions into doing those kinds of things the better it'll be great i think that's a good um good final point there so um to the listeners thank you for listening and to Dan and Delara, it was great having you guys on. Um, thanks for joining us again, Delara. And uh, it was really interesting hearing from you, Dan. Um, so if the listener would like to find out more about sustainability at Greenwich University, please visit www.gre.ac.uk forward slash sustain. Um, yeah, and thanks again, guys.